This episode of Primitive Culture is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international programme of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something. I've been coerced into watching tonight's movie. You do have books in the 24th century. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history. We haven't run out of history quite yet. Hello and welcome to Primitive Culture, a Trek FM podcast all about our history, our culture and how Star Trek relates to it. I'm Duncan Barrett, and today I'm joined by Tony Black. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Duncan. Yeah, not too bad. I um, I am happy to be jumping back onto the good ship primitive culture, um, having uh, successfully launched many spin-offs over the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> That's not I true. I was going to say, I, I'm tearing you away. I know I'm tearing you away from a book deadline. So, uh, you, you know, there's, there's <laughs> probably something else you've got your mind on at the moment. Yes, I'm uh, currently finishing up writing all about... Uh, Sean Connery and his his movies um, for a book, so it's uh, it, it's a whole other kind of um, a whole other kind of world. I'm <laughs> my mind's in as apart from Star Trek. Although there is a Star Trek connection in the book, which um, some some people probably already know, but uh, it'll be interesting one to find out. Yeah, yeah, Shakari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does get a mention. Shakari. Yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> so, good. Um, I'm glad to hear it. But no, I. I had to pop back for this. I, I know. I was thinking. I was thinking. If I'd been really clever, I would have like set this episode up as a backdoor pilot for another podcast. Uh, <laughs> but I, I was not uh, that on the ball. But yeah, we're talking about backdoor pilots, um, which, for anyone who's not familiar with the term, is basically when uh, a TV show creates an episode that is designed to serve as a sort of unofficial pilot or a proof of concept for another show. Um, And the most obvious example within Star Trek history is Assignment Earth, which was intended as a kind of um, a spin-off series, essentially, that it would have been with Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln. Uh, And this is what we would have had, you know, when Star Trek went off the air, I suppose. But obviously, that's not how things panned out. Well, it seemed to be partly down to the, the constant back and forth in terms of cancellations that Star Trek was threatened with in the 1960s. So, uh, you know, you had the, in 1967, which was roughly when, 1968, when roughly when the second series was coming to an end, there were lots of, there was lots of talk about, you know, is, is this it? Is this going to be the end of the show? And then you had, and people will listen to this, I'm sure know all about the, the fan writing, you know, things that happened organized by super fans like, um, Bijo Trimble and all these people in the 60s who then petitioned NBC to keep it going and and managed to do it. But in that period, Roddenberry, who had been intermittently involved, I think, in the second season, you know, people like Gene Kuhn were, were running it, John Meredith Lucas, people like that. 
he'd got his eye on other different things at the same time. So he was doing different pilots at various different points because he did lots of different pilots during, before and after Star Trek. And um, so he'd, he'd got his eye on various different things. And one that he'd, he was, he was mulling over wasn't necessarily exactly Assignment Earth at that point, but it was a similar concept to another writer who came in around the time of John Meredith Lucas called Art Wallace, who then, he, he then ended up writing what would become Assignment Earth, which was the second season finale with. And so it, it was all a sort of, it was based on some ideas that he'd, he'd had about a separate show, not necessarily connected to Star Trek, that then when Star Trek was being recommissioned and then it was coming towards the end, it was, it was, it was, you know, put in as the a second season finale. And, and that was at the point then they started to go, oh, actually, maybe there's another spin off here. Maybe there's another show. So it sort of all, it came around at, at different points than, and different people with diff, with similar sort of takes on, on a similar idea came together to, to make this work, I think, is roughly what how the history goes for it. That makes a lot of sense because in some ways it doesn't feel like a spin-off. It doesn't quite feel, I mean, obviously, we, you know, we've got now with Picard, we're kind of getting back into this, this aspect of Star Trek lore. But to me anyway, it, it feels like a slightly uncomfortable fit. Maybe less so with the original series where, you know, the rules were a bit uh, <laughs> looser <laughs> and, you know, what yeah. Star Trek, you know, what Star Trek was, was a bit less clear at that stage. But, um, it, it, that, that certainly makes sense to me that it was originally intended as an unconnected, uh, you know, story that then got kind of wedged into a Star Trek episode. And, and certainly I think Assignment Earth, it has many charms, but it also feels very much like two things smashed together. I mean, presumably if this is the season two finale, this could easily have been the last ever episode of Star Trek, right? And that would have been, I mean, people complain about the way Enterprise went out with, you know, Micah <laughs> and Troy. Uh, I feel like this could have been a similar conversation somehow. Well, it might have been even less of a, you know, an, an effective finale than Turnabout Intruder was, which could have just been any kind of episode, I think, really, in season three or any other season. You know, it wasn't anything like a finale, a, a closed, you know. Um, but this, you know, <laughs> an episode that's basically a, a completely different show in many ways. Yeah, that would have been, that would have really been um, even more, or, or would it have been controversial? Because as you say, television in the 60s was was different you know people weren't necessarily primed to expect storylines to flourish in a climactic cliffhangering sort of arc that was very much what television gave birth to particularly in the 80s really and then you saw in in things in star trek i think the 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 main one that really kicked that off was best of both worlds obviously in season three of of tng but so, the, so there wasn't quite the, even the first two seasons of TNG don't really end on a traditional finale as such. In some ways, they could be episodes that could be placed in different places along a season. So, I think the rules were slightly different, particularly in the 1960s, as to what function people just turned up for a show, for an episode, for another adventure, and they weren't thinking in those kind of lines. That's not to say that you're not correct in that it, it's it, it's a it's it, it, it's quite jarring as a finale. But yeah, I, I don't think they thought in those terms. And I think with with Assignment Earth, there definitely was one eye on maybe this can become, if not a spin-off. I think they had more on, in their minds that this might be the next show that Roddenberry made, you know, and Star Trek was just going to go away and, and that they wouldn't do anymore. So I think there was very much a case of, and I suppose that's slightly different from what we would imagine a backdoor pilot now to be. And I know we'll talk about this, but something like The End of Discovery, season two with Pike and the Enterprise, where they very clearly had one eye on Strange New Worlds, 
Whereas in this case, I think it was just more about, well, Star Trek was another show that we did, a bit like when Roddenberry did The Lieutenant before Star Trek, and this is going to be the next one, without any kind of realising and, and comprehension that Star Trek was going to become this you know, era-defining I- icon of the 20th century. Well, I'd love to know the kind of behind-the-scenes uh, of season two of Discovery because I mean yeah one reason I wanted to sort of schedule this chat for now is because we've got Strange New Worlds debuting and to me uh, it that does feel very much like a season-long backdoor pilot for that show I don't know whether that was intentional it's kind of hard to imagine it wasn't intentional at some level although the narrative they will give out is you know oh this wasn't us this was the fans you know the fans came to us and uh, and demanded this show and you know we're giving the fans what they want and I think in many ways Strange New Worlds uh, absolutely is a show that is giving the fans what they want but I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine. Even if when they started writing that season, if that wasn't what they had in mind, by the time you get to the end of it, you're right, and you get to see the Enterprise, and you get the kind of you get Spock back in his you know shaving his beard and everything. It it does feel like you know surely they've got half an eye on that. Although you know maybe maybe it'll be years before we <laughs> get the kind of full gossip on exactly what was going on there. But this phenomenon of the backdoor pilot, I think it is an interesting one, and I suppose. Maybe baked into it is this idea that it's an episode of a show um, where there's something wrong with it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it registers. It's kind of, there's, there's, like I said, there's a clash or, or whatever. I mean, I was just looking at um, the website TV Tropes, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Great, great website at the Backdoor Pilot examples on there. And they said, basically, you know, you're watching a backdoor pilot when a load of new characters suddenly appear and the regular characters sort of drift into the background and don't seem to be doing very much. And you kind of you think, hang on a minute, what's going on? And and invariably, yes, what's going on is they're trying to draw your attention um, to another group of people. It struck me. Um, I mean, I think there are various instances in Star Trek where intentionally or otherwise we could talk about kind of backdoor pilot uh, syndrome going on. One that hadn't really occurred to me until literally until we just started recording a minute ago is um, Lower Decks, which is obviously an episode that gets then a whole TV show spun off from it. But Lower Decks is the classic, you know, case of an episode where the the central characters become peripheral and peripheral characters, new characters become central. Obviously, they didn't go off and do a Lower Decks series, uh, you know, then it took another 20 years or whatever. But I suppose... That, in a way, is an episode that you could say almost has the feel of a backdoor pilot without the intention of being one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a good shout, really. I mean, when that was made, obviously, yeah, you're talking when was that? 1993, something along those lines. 94. It's 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 a different world in terms of Star Trek and how it's and how television's being produced because they. I I, I wonder if at that period, maybe even less so than in the 60s, they sort of had any kind of mind, and you might know differently, Duncan, you might have read things, but whether they had any mind on on doing backdoor pilots for shows within that universe that were completely different, because it seemed very much like they were set on the path that has completely now changed in that it's a ship or a space station in DS9's case, but then they get the Defiant in the end, so it kind of still becomes a ship and a crew and adventures and going out into space. And, and they very much stuck to that format throughout the entire run from 87 to 2005. So at any point, even though there are lots of these interesting way stations, something like Lower Decks, would they have thought in those terms to go, actually, there is an opportunity to explore a different caveat of this universe there and take that into... Yeah, television's changed so much now in that 
you know, things can spin off into into a mini series, you know, through streaming and through all of these different things. Th- things can spin off into a movie. Things are, the, there's so much more fluidity now to what, how they produce things than there ever was in the days of networks where they had to fill 24, 25 episode seasons. And they just weren't, they weren't in the space they were going to do that. So I think if anything now, even though maybe there are, you know, less egregious examples than this out there, I think if anything, we're in a better position now to have the idea of backdoor pilots. You know, I mean, a, a perfect example in the modern era is um, Terra Firma for Giorgio. And well, obviously we know, we know that Giorgio is, is going to get a section 31 show that is consistently what they keep saying is going to happen. And we sort of knew that before she went out of it. But at the same time, that is a perfect example of spinning someone off for their own thing. And you can do that now. You could do, you can do that section 31 show. You can have all these, you know, and as much as I am, you know, we've talked to other things that I'm not always sure about the quality of modern Star Trek. The fact they do vary all these different ideas within a universe is, is a real, is a really interesting thing. So I don't know. I mean, were they even in the headspace to do this back then when things like the TV show, the, the TV episode Lower Decks was being premiered? It, it seems hard to imagine in a way. It does. I agree. It doesn't seem like that was the way that they developed new shows. I mean, it, certainly Discovery is an interesting one because Discovery, I suppose, is the, you know, that's the show that brought Star Trek back after this massive hiatus. Um, and it does feel like a show that every so often chucks out an episode that could be from a different series uh, and almost seems to be setting one up. I mean, yeah, you're right. We had Giorgio's Section 31, uh, not just uh, um, in that episode, Terra Firma, but of course also in season two of Discovery, you know, as much as it's a backdoor pilot for Strange New Worlds, it's also a backdoor pilot for this Section 31 show uh, because they were already planning uh, that at that stage, I think. We had also in that season, the Klingon episode, Point of Light, which feels very out of place to me, uh, both in Discovery and in Star Trek more generally. It feels like this sort of Klingon Game of Thrones type episode, you know, and it features primarily Ash Tyler and Laurel, two supporting characters, essentially. Uh, you know, the focus is not on the, the, and also Emperor Giorgio, the focus is not on the kind of regular cast. And it comes quite early in that season uh, to be doing something as sort of experimental as that. That feels very much like testing the waters for, you know, what would a kind of ultra-violent, uh, crazy Klingon <laughs> um, type show be like then we've got uh you know again in discovery we've got the starfleet academy set up yeah. for tilly and we know that for years they've been talking about doing the starfleet academy show we know that tilly has been written out maybe not totally written out of discovery but you, you know certainly written off the bridge of discovery is that a backdoor pilot for a tilly centered starfleet academy show i, I mean, think we kind so. of assumed starfleet academy was going to be in a previous timeline that we're familiar with but it could equally well be in that timeline uh and again it sort of feels like they were testing the waters with that episode we've got tilly and a bunch of cadets out in peril um it's a role that we had never seen her in before it kind of came a bit out of the blue suddenly she's you know this teacher and and then she's off and you know she's she's got this new um this new sort of future ahead of her i mean discovery does feel like a show as well there was a point in season four i was watching i was thinking gosh this is like sort of star trek hr or something i mean the number of people coming and going <laughs> constantly with every episode you know oh yeah i'm going off to do this or oh here's so-and-so's come back and we haven't seen them. you know it's, it, it got to a point where i was like is this deliberate is this what are they representing here because there's so much kind of coming and going uh with the regular cast and, and sort of shuffling them around um and we get it with picard as well i'd say i mean i'd say that first episode of season two of picard 
maybe that's more a sign of what season three of Picard is going to be on the Stargazer. I don't know, but that felt like a pilot for another, uh, you know, for a Stargazer series. I mean, everyone was immediately saying, give us the Stargazer series. Okay, we know Picard as a show, it's days are numbered, but, you know, give us some of these characters coming back in, um, I suppose, a more sort of conventional uh, Star Trek series. But in terms of what they were thinking in the 90s, I think that's an interesting question. I don't know that they were thinking in terms of spinning off shows off of episodes like that. But where I think they do do something quite similar is with the Marquis, because the Marquis, I believe, were invented for Voyager, but they put a lot of work in, in both Next Generation and Deep Space Nine to lay the groundwork, arguably... Uh, they laid it too well, in a sense, for what Voyager was actually going to do with it. But um, there was a real concerted effort there. And that was a point where, you know, you really did have the kind of Star Trek TV universe um, and these three shows working together to to try and tell a sort of coordinated story where one leads into the other, leads into the other. I, I, well, as, I, as we've been dis- talking, though, I've been wondering, uh, is there a difference between a backdoor pilot and a backdoor concept? So what I mean by this is, Tilly, for example, and I, I agree. I think that is absolutely going to spin off into a Starfleet Academy show. I, I, I would put money on that. But t- the, the Tilly episode, it's whether or not some they bring back those characters, or they, or they, they're introducing the idea of Tilly working with cadets. Similarly, with Giorgio, this, and they've, you know, they've layered in Section Thirty-One being, a, but a lot of those characters in Section, like characters like Leland, I can't imagine they're going to come back for a Section Thirty-One series. They've layered in the idea well, I that think he's, uh, Leland is, is slightly done for, isn't he? Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> Didn't he get exploded or something by your show by the end of it? Something, but, yeah. something happened like that. So there are yeah. certain characters I don't necessarily think. I imagine if Giorgio gets spun off into this show that, you know, they're talking about being like a version of Guardians of the Galaxy-ish style kind of Section 31 stuff, that she will end up with an entirely different new cast. Whereas a backdoor... She'll pipe- have Ash Tyler, surely, won't she? I mean, isn't that... Well... I sort of assumed that was the idea. It's, it's Giorgio and Ash and... That yeah, would make sense. That would make sense. Group. And might, I imagine Laurel will I was come say, into things. Yeah. Uh, maybe in Strange New Worlds as well. I mean, she hasn't so far in the episodes that we've seen, but um, that would kind of be a bit of a no-brainer uh, mm. in some ways, wouldn't it? But yeah. certainly with the Section 31, because she's got that link to Ash and, and that kind of history there. Yeah, it would make sense. And and given that, you know, people like Mary Chifo are still very involved with the fandom, you know, and that kind of thing. So it feels like, so that would make, yeah, that, that, those are good examples of characters who might go with it. But then around that, there might be other, but the, the conceptually, I don't know if, you know, in terms of a, an episode that has actually introduced that world, like a good example, non-Star Trek, but a, a perfect example of a backdoor pilot was an episode they did right at the very end of the American office called The Farm. And it was around the character of Dwight. And it took it took the characters completely away from the office, and it took them to his a beet farm, I think it was, in the countryside. And he introduced his family, and it was literally for the whole episode, pretty much just Dwight and his family, completely lo- lo- new load of characters. It told a story in that thirty minutes, and then by the end, it it was very much set up for the show. You could literally then do the farm, the office spinoff, have it called the farm, and then next season, once the office finishes, you've got Rain Wilson. Who obviously has a Star Trek connection himself, who who might well turn up in Strange New Worlds. Who knows? Would that wouldn't that wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me either. But um, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, maybe. But <laughs> I uh, thought of that one, yeah. but right? Um, but no, it, you know, it, that was very much there, poised. That could have been done. It just didn't happen in the end. They pitched it. It almost happened. It didn't happen. But that was there. Whereas a lot of these conceptual ideas. Whereas that's the difference, I think, with the Discovery uh, and 
Pike and Enterprise stuff because in a way I think that was a backdoor prequel, I guess, to Strange New Worlds that we're getting. So it had set up in many ways a lot of the characters. And yeah, Strange New Worlds has introduced new characters, but it had set up number one, Spark, Pike. Um, I don't know if there were any, if there's anyone else who was in Discovery who was seeing on Strange New Worlds. I can't remember. I don't um, think there is actually. And no. that's quite an interesting point because they did carry over other characters. I mean, there was this whole controversy over Yeoman Cult and whether mm. they'd actually misassigned which character was, which I think is yeah. highly likely because there's another, there's a cat, you know, pretty much an extra who looked like she could easily have been Yeoman Colt. And then they claimed that Yeoman Colt was an alien in, in this version. Who knows? Right. I don't know what was going on there. But yeah, there were, so there were other characters tied to the cage continuity. I mean, the, the other thing, you know, talking about, uh, backdoor pilots in Star Trek is, you know, okay, is Discovery season two a backdoor pilot for Strange New Worlds? Maybe is the menagerie a backdoor yeah. pilot for Strange New Worlds. I mean, technically yeah. it is, obviously not intentionally, but that was yeah. the broadcast episode that was, mm. you know, reconstructed out of the uh, <laughs> the, the crashed, uh, disfigured remains of the cage. Um, and, you know, that's in kind of canon, in continuity or whatever, that's what went out was the menagerie. Yeah. And that is where we get these, these characters from. And in Discovery Season 2, they, you know, they play on that with that, brilliant um intro to the episode if memory serves mm. where you see clips from the cage and then it sort of seamlessly transitions into you know Anson Mounter's pike I love uh, that on the bridge yeah. of discovery um which is beautifully done yeah. I think and, and really sort of selling the idea yeah this is you know this is there's continuity here this is the same people this is the same situation yeah okay we've had to recast obviously 50 years later but you know um it is about these people. It's not just about the the kind of concept. So, so I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair point. There's, you could say there's there's three types of thing we're talking about here. So we're talking about with assignment Earth. Yes, obviously it was going to be Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln, and they were going to be the heroes of the new show, and they're the people we want to get you to know. Uh, with these discovery instances, maybe they're sort of more setting up a style or a kind of a kind of sandbox to play in or a kind of, you know, particular kind of storytelling. With the Marquis in 90s Trek, they're more just setting up a kind of idea and trying to sort of layer it in and, and prepare the audience for it, I suppose, and, and build up some of that stuff. But they're all different ways of um, of doing it. And, and maybe, it, I mean, probably it's fair to say Assignment Earth is the only, strictly speaking, backdoor pilot in Star Trek. But as you say, loads of shows have them. I mean, the X-Files certainly has one because they, they, there was a spin-off with the Lone Gunman, right? But before they did that, I think there was a, an episode of the X-Files, which probably is called well, the Lone Gunman. Is it, is that right? Well, well, uh, which was not quite a Lone Gunman episode. Actually, it wasn't, oh, right, okay. well, they, they did it the, the other way around. So they, they had the mm-hmm. characters who were established. They then did the, a show and then they sure, did of course, an episode yeah. of the sh- of the X-Files that was a sequel and a wrap-up for those characters. So they sort of flipped it round in an interesting oh, way. It? I knew they did that with Millennium. I didn't realise they did that with Lone Gunman 2. Yeah, yeah. Lone, so, they, Lone, so they did that twice, essentially. Okay, they, and right. I, th- I, think yeah. there were, I think there was a point in, in the same season of the X-Files where the Lone Gunman was running canonically. There was a reference in right. one of the episodes of the X-Files with a character in blue or something, and, and a character oh, just went, okay. what's that about? And they went, oh, it's a long story. So there was sort of... But it wasn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It wasn't sort okay. of it, quite the same thing. But but no, it's the same kind of idea, though, that you will kind of overlap and do these things. And, mm. and you know, I, I think... And, you know, there are legion amounts of backdoor pilots. I mean, you know, or or ideas that, 
in TV shows that didn't go anywhere, that they they liked the idea of a character mm. and they just wanted to test the water. And I think I think you'd find quite a lot of that really. I mean, I mean, something like Starfleet Academy, if it is meant to be a Tilly show or a Tilly fronted led show with lots of other characters, that could be one of those things that they end up thinking twice about the direction there. Whereas I think with some someone like Giorgio, you have an actor in Michelle Yeoh who is world renowned. She is currently like in everything the right now. Like there, there is not a t- there is not a show um, in everything or a t- everywhere or a film. all at once. Right? Yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. You <laughs> you said it. And so she's hugely popular. And I think that that that's a slam dunk in many ways. You've got an actor that will draw people in. You have a concept that I think is. I mean, that in a way is the riskiest one because it, it is essentially taking what was a very controversial Star Trek idea in the 90s and running with it as an adventure action spy series, which I think really has the fandom split down the middle. And if I'm honest, I would wager that there are more doubts in Thomas's with this one than people who are really, really looking forward to it right now because they don't know what it looks like. But do you know what? I... I felt like that about Strange New Worlds. I was not one of these fans clamouring for it. I thought that was going to be a lazy, a bit of a kind of lazy bit of fan service. And I, I mean, you and I have both seen first half of the first season of Strange New Worlds. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought, and I can very much see why I I think people are going to say, this is what we've been waiting for for five years. Do you know what I mean? This is the Mm. Star Trek we've been waiting for. It feels very classic Trek, but not in a kind of, lazy retreading it's not that they've necessarily taken the easy path if you know what i mean but it's a show that absolutely knows what it's doing and knows what it is more than i think any star trek show you know since since discovery came on the air maybe with the exception of lower decks which i think is pretty much knows what it's doing for sure and i love all of those shows in various ways but i think strange new worlds is the one that has the most kind of confidence in a way out of the gate so i don't know it's inter- that that's just to say maybe Maybe when they have a really strong idea, whether we like the idea or not, we should kind of go with it and see, because I think that in itself is something to recommend itself. Mm, yeah, I, I think that the it helps, I think, when you've got established stuff there. I mean, you know, taking nothing away from Star- Strange New Worlds, because it is it is out the gate a confident piece of work. You know, there's a lot of... If, if, if people listen to this and they haven't watched it yet or they're just about to watch it, you really are in for a treat, I think. And, and I think it will appeal to modern and new star uh, classical and modern star trek fans but i think they had a bit of a head start in the fact that pike spark obviously spark to some degree number one are quite well established star trek characters and you know you've got other ones in there you know you've got uhura you've got you know uh, mm-hmm. uh, mbenga you've got, you've chapel, got chapel you know and, and, and but chapel and benga are you know absolute standouts for me I mean Chapel I've never particularly been keen on Chapel as a character but this version of Chapel is amazing she I, is good know, it's kind of yeah. like, I mean you know some people don't like retconning or whatever but this is an example of retconning a character and just <laughs> it's sent, well, almost making her a completely different character but well, it works so well so you know, I, I think it's an example of, of creating a character if anything really out of just a very basic template that you had in the 60s because they didn't really pay much attention to the very ancillary I mean blimey even some of the bridge crew uh, classic beloved characters didn't have a lot of character development in that in that era it was Kirk, Spock and McCoy who had the stories for the most part you know bar one or two exceptions and that won't be the case with this because we're in a we're in a, uh, an era now where 
ca- a, a character. Well, <laughs> I say that Discovery. This is where Discovery's got it wrong because they haven't fleshed out their bridge crew at all. They haven't. They've done very much like TOS in many ways, and I, and I think that sh- that's a weakness of the storytelling. Whereas I think Strange New Worlds won't do that. But I think in some ways the fact that some of these characters are well known or they have a precedent. And and the concept is easy, you know. The, it, it's the Enterprise. I mean, it is the ultimate classic star. It is the original series, essentially. Again, it is. It is. Well, rebooted. it's the original series that we we didn't get. I mean, yeah. it's, it's literally, you know, that Star Trek is. This is what Star Trek was before the original series. Do you know what I mean? This well, is yeah. the show yeah. that the Cage would have become. Yeah, you know, with and a fifty years hence massive budget and you know whatever. But it, it yeah, it is exactly. It's a sort of essentially Star Trek as you can be in that sense. Yeah, it really is. And I, th- and I think we will get the five-year mission here. I, th- I have no doubt about that. I think absolutely we will. And it, and that'll be, it'll become quite legendary in that sense, I think, because people will talk about it in years to come as, have, as being the five-year mission that Star Trek in the 60s never got. And it will be, it will line up with that, I think, very well. And I think, so I think it does have a head start in that sense as a, as a backdoor pilot concept. And I think it is a fusion of the two. Whereas with a lot of these other examples... There is, there is a lot more legwork to do, you know, for something like, and that's why I think Lower Decks was, has, has been so interesting is because they didn't make that TNG show. Mike McMahon didn't choose to just make that TN, TNG show. He didn't just choose to remake that same concept. He decided to do it, not just animated either, but he decided, because you could have made that as a live action thing. You could have absolutely done a Lower Decks show live action, but it would have been, much it wouldn't have been what we got you know he's he's made a, a quite a wacky animated show out of that and he's taken he's he's created very different characters for that show and he so it, it's interesting how that as a as a backdoor concept in a way 20 30 years later took on a very different self-mocking lampooning show that had the space to actually look back at particularly 90 star trek and find the comedy in 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 the way the storytelling happens and that's the thing in that the storytelling in, in Star Trek now is is so is m- much more modern in its presentation and structure and style, for better or worse. Whereas the ninety Star Trek, in some ways, is ripe for comedy. And I think the fact that they he took that and did something different with it is is a fascinating factor in given how long it was since that episode came out. It just struck me when you were talking about strange new worlds, though, and, and this idea of, of, of these characters. I mean, obviously, with Lower Decks, it, yes, it's sort of taken the concept and the title, but none of those actual people uh, are, are carried over. But with strange new worlds, I think you're right. They've got an advantage insofar as people are familiar with these characters, but they're familiar in so many different ways. I mean, first of all, everyone is familiar with Spock because Spock is a part of the kind of cultural landscape anyway, right? So, so Spock is, is kind of there already. Pike, anyone is like everyone, everyone who watches Star Trek is familiar with Pike and number one because they have this kind of iconic, uh, position. And of course, Uhura because we know Uhura. Anyone who wasn't familiar with Star Trek, but has got in via like the Abrams films and probably watches Discovery now knows Pike and number one through season two of Discovery. So it's, it's like for every potential audience member, they've already been primed for this show, which is yeah. quite clever. You know, if it's by design, it's quite clever. If it's not by design, it's very convenient for them, I think. So, so the show can really hit the ground running. I mean, it doesn't have to have a two hour pilot. It can have a one hour first episode that, you know, is barely a pilot, to be honest. I mean, yeah, we've got Pike shaving his beard or whatever, but I mean, you know, basically just an episode of the show, uh, in a sense, isn't it? And it, it doesn't have to do all that kind of setting up faffing around stuff that, you know, usually we got a double episode. Picard, we kind of got three episodes. Um, it can just kind of 
start, a bit like the original series, just, you know, they could almost pick, the, well, they did essentially pick an episode and say, we'll put that one out first and that's our introductory episode. You know, it, it kind of can, can jump into it right away because they've done all that work and kind of laid out all that stuff with those characters beforehand. And obviously there's a lot of backstory for some of the other characters and, inclu- and indeed some of those characters. Uh, and there's the whole thing for Pike, you know, which we learned from Discovery that he actually knows his fate. Uh, so they, they kind of built a whole, not just backstory, but like forward story <laughs> baked into that character. But it's, it's very much enough is established that we can kind of, we know who these people are and we can kind of just get on with it uh, at this stage. And I think that is a big advantage to them. No, it, it is. It's a huge advantage in a way that a lot of these other examples don't have. And and that's why it would, it would have been interesting to see that Assignment Earth spin-off if it had been linked to Star Trek because specifically because it, you wouldn't re- you would it would have been the most untethered thing that they've ever done in this franchise. I mean even with all these different, you know, examples of of testing the water with animated shows, with styles, with different, you know, parts of the universe, not being around Starfleet all the time, etc., which they've done since 2017. This would have been completely separate, you know, set on Earth in the, you know, the 60s, whatever, set, or maybe even early 70s. And it, it would be the equivalent now of doing a spin-off with Tallinn from, from Picard and having Orla Brady get her own show as this, you know, watcher, or and or even if you do a spin-off with with Talon and Guinan teaming up, you know, on Modern Earth, you know, which some people would really love. I think I someone think will really be calling that. for that already. They will, don't they worry, will, you know? <laughs> they will yeah. be because <laughs> what you the find fiction has already been written. I bet. And and that's precisely it, though. You get nowadays, particularly fan bases built around actors. I mean, that's the only way, and I mean this in the nicest possible way. But the only reason that we've had so much Talon is because everyone loved Orla Brady as Laris. You know, and and it will be interesting to see what the reaction has been amongst fans who didn't get Laris this season. And of and of because they've almost cheated. They've kept Orla Brady in with it as a different character. And she's not because she's not Laris. And I think some fans might be like, well, it's not really what we wanted. You know, we wanted Laris. You know, why didn't Laris just come back into the past with them and all these kind of things? You know, why could you imagine- Soji? We don't get Soji, we get Whatever her name we is. We get Co- Corey, Kobe, or whatever it is. Corey, um, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. So it's a little bit of a cheat. and it, and it, But I think you find these days that certain fan bases, and you do see this a lot with Star Trek, they build around a certain character. I mean, it, I'm, I'll be amazed if people aren't calling for a Seven and Raffi spin-off by the time Picard is finished. Because I think Seven, they are such popular, particularly Seven, and Seven's always been popular, I think. But now with the... With how Voyager is so much more back in vogue in so many ways in terms of Star Trek, the idea of having a Seven and Raffi, Seven as a ranger or whatever, or even, you know, and and quite often you get the calls for the captain shows, don't you? I mean, already people are joking and we've joked about Captain Rios for years. There there was. I'm not joking. Well, (laughs) I'm down for that one. We'd love that. And again, I'd be surprised if they don't end up doing it, to be honest, in some form or other, because I think he has got so much kind of charisma and, you know, uh, is, is a great character that we've been introduced to and they've given him a ship now. So, yeah. you know, why not? Although we'll exactly. see, maybe he stays on Earth in Picard season two by the end. And, mm. and well, well, I don't know. We'll find out soon. But yeah, exactly. We'll and yeah. as we record, um, but it, that's the thing. I think, you know, and be, be, before you've had years, you've had the, the thought, the talks of a Captain Wharf show or before that you had Captain Sulu and all these things. Although I think to some extent it was the actors lobbying more than, than everyone else. But, I still think there would there is appetite for those kind of things, and it's it's built often, I think, around characters, which is why. Just to go back to my earlier point, 
where I started with this. Would it have would it have been would Assignment Earth been as successful at a point where were people in the 1960s desperate for a Robert Lansing fronted TV series for with Gary Seven? I don't know because I don't know if fandom quite worked in the same way then, and because it was still in that very nascent point, and you had people. Star Trek fandom really kicked off under the threat of cancellation, then particularly in the 1970s. But people wanted that show. You know, I don't know if they wanted the the what would have been a fascinating, fascinating show, much more sort of Mission Impossible James Bondy in the you know the late 60s, or with a little bit of the prisoner in there, maybe, you know, with set on Earth. It would have been fantastic. It would have been a real artifact of that Cold War sort of period, you know, with the kitsch 60s stuff going on. But I don't know if it would have if it would have lasted. I don't think people would have been talking about it now in the way that they talk about Star Trek. You know, so I think sometimes a lot of it is about both concepts and the people in these shows and the character, the, not just the characters, but the actors. And I think there's a real fusion of all that that goes into whether whether some of these backdoor pilots are made. You could have a great character that seems built for a pilot, for for a spin-off show. But for some reason, I mean, and Dwight from The Office is a perfect example of this. A character who worked really well in that show. But when I watched that that episode, The Farm, part of me was like, I don't know if I'd want this every week. I don't know if he's a lead character. And and I thought, I think that decision was the right one. I think they did the right thing not making that into a series. So it's, it is interesting how these decisions are made. And even though it might seem like a perfectly set up thing, maybe sometimes it is right not to go there. I think that's a really interesting point. And obviously, a lot of these backdoor pilots, I mean, if you go to TV Tropes and look at the list of backdoor pilots, a lot of them didn't end up becoming shows. I mean, including Assignment Earth. You know, we we, we didn't get Assignment Earth. We get it in the novels. Uh, uh, there's some great stuff in Greg Cox's uh, novels about the um, eugenics wars with Gary Seven. And they and did uh, and comics. So and yeah. you get in the comics, they did mm. a comic run, didn't they? Yeah. So so I suppose that lives on in, in various ways, but we didn't get a, a TV show. And I think it's an interesting question. I mean, does it work as, as a TV show? I, I have to say, I find Gary Seven a little bit dull. <laughs> I love Roberta Lincoln. I think she works. Yeah, she's uh, good. A, a bit in the same way as I love Rain Robinson. I wouldn't much, I mean, you know, give Rain Robinson a show dealing with, you know, aliens in yeah. the present day or something back in the 90s I don't know you know she stands out and I think it's got great it's got great kind of tech it's got that cloudy portal which they bring back in Picard very cool it's got the voice recognition typewriter you know it's it's got some great um elements that you can see would make it quite a charming contemporary like you say sort of contemporary sci-fi slash spy uh kind of show it's it's hard to say, isn't it? Would it have been a classic? Probably not. Would it have been fun? Yeah, maybe. Um, but, but again, it's that weird sense when you watch the episode, Simon Earth, and I don't know whether this is one reason. It, I mean, I, I sort of have always assumed the idea is that it didn't take off because Star Trek came back for another year and that maybe otherwise it, it would have done. But I think I, I don't think the actors were signed up either. I think there was some question mark as to whether it was kind of a goer practically speaking and for what you know obviously if the networks had seen it and absolutely loved it they probably would have commissioned it wouldn't they and and they didn't so i don't know it's an interesting one i mean i think it's quite a fun sort of romp i would i would happily watch more stories of those characters but maybe it didn't quite do enough um enough to sell them and and i suppose you, you know the thing about a backdoor pilot is it really does have to 
it, it has to serve two masters. It has to function at least partly as a, an episode of the show that it's in. And then it has to function strongly enough as a pilot for another show. And doing a, you know, good pilot for a show is, is hard. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's hard to do it in a single episode. Uh, you know, it's one reason we often do get feature length pilots because you need time to set stuff up. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a tall order. But as I say, you know, it's, it's one among many on the list of backdoor pilots that, or potential spin-offs that kind of never came to be. I mean, another one in fairly recent years, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they had this whole kind of storyline that was geared towards a spin-off for, um, the Mockingjay character. And they, uh, they even, you know, gave them a sort of farewell episode. They gave her and, and her husband, uh, I can't think of his L- name. Lance you know, Hunter. Two characters that I were going to get their was. own spin-off. Right, yeah. Gave them their own spin-off, uh, you know, farewell episode, wrote them out of the main show in a fairly kind of drastic way. And then their spin-off never happened. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a terrible shame. They, they, you know, they lost these two characters for nothing, basically. Um, I sort of, I hope that's not what's happening to Emperor Georgia. You know, if Section 31 doesn't happen, then have they just, mm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that was the right call anyway, because she was always a little bit of a, an odd element in discovery. Well, but, um, you know, that's the danger, I suppose, if you write these characters out of one show with an intention of them going into another. And then for whatever reason that doesn't come off, then they're kind of out in the cold, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, and also I think a lot of these projects, they exist in a certain continuum. That's not a Q joke, but they, 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 they exist in a certain time and space. I think, I mean, you know, you couldn't really. You can do it in a comic, sure. You can do it in a in a novel, sure. But you couldn't really remake Assignment Earth now, in it, and it'd be the same thing as they imagined in the sixties. You know, you couldn't make the same idea with Talin and a and a and a cat that's also a shapeshifter, and you know, have her partnered up with someone. It wouldn't be quite the same thing because that show, for instance, was desi- would have been designed, especially with Gary Seven, to reflect all of the, you know, the big political cultural anxieties of the time and the idea that he was protecting humans, you know, and trying to pretend, protect a future that, you know, was going to go terribly wrong and all this kind of thing. Which, it, and yeah, okay, you could have some sort of similar parallel now, but it, 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 I think it would be more cynical now in many ways. I think that times have changed. And similarly, I think they've got to be careful about the Giorgio thing because that is going to have a shelf life. You know, they've got to get on that fairly quickly. You know, Michelle Yeoh still young enough to convincingly carry carry a show. Sure, you know, she doesn't seem to age that woman. She's incredible, really. But you know, and she's in a prime. If arguably she might even be in a, in a, in a career peak right now, give it it's even be a, despite everything else going on in a, in a, in her past. But I, I think they have to jump on that fairly quickly because these things exist in a vacuum of interest as well. It's like, imagine trying to do a Tilly-fronted Starfleet Academy spin-off five years after Discovery's ended, you know, and Star Trek in some ways has moved on into goodness knows what we're going to get. You know, I I still, I think that these things, they have to, if they're going to happen, they have to happen fairly quickly. And I think you would have found that in the 90s, had they chosen to do spin-offs, around certain characters that they chosen to follow certain threads, you know, had they chosen to do a marquee show, you know, mm. and had they chosen to actually go down but, that road, but Tony, they, and they did, do, they did do a marquee show, you know, we, <laughs> Star Trek Voyager, haven't you seen it? <laughs> but yeah, well. no, you're right. And it also, it made me think, you know, when you think about certain characters, obviously there was a character like Rolaren was a character they wanted to, to put on DS9, didn't they? You, you know, they did yeah. try. Yeah. Um, and I was reading something I hadn't, realize this but the episode disaster that one reason 
that the episode Disaster features both Miles uh, and Keiko uh, quite prominently. And also Roe is that that was intended as a, they were already kind of planning on, on DS9 would have had all three of those characters kind of. Ah, okay. But I, I think interesting. it is interesting. And I, I think there's also this kind of question of, of tone, you know, when you're setting up not just the, the, the individual characters for a show, but the kind of tone of the show. And I, I think that's one reason why the, the marquee arc doesn't feed into, uh, Voyager or it doesn't feel like it feeds into Voyager. It's like, first of all they were working backwards so they knew that Voyager was going to have this marquee storyline and they, they sort of needed to set up the marquee but then they gave it to DS9 and DS9 did brilliant DS9 stuff with the marquee and the marquee fit perfectly in DS9 it's kind of political issue it's quite uh, shades of grey kind of issue it, you know, it, it's absolutely in the DS9 wheelhouse then you get Next Gen doing uh, episodes like Journey's End Preemptive Strike which feel very much like DS9 episodes, to be honest, not next yeah. 10 episodes. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a good way, I would say, very into the kind of nitty gritty of the politics again and the kind of shades of grey and, and all this sort of stuff that works well on, on DS9. But then you get to Voyager and none of that really translates. Um, so you've got this weird thing where all of this work has been done to set up this conflict and to set up this issue between the Marquis and Starfleet. But the premise of Voyager as this kind of lost in space uh, story just doesn't really, it doesn't really fit because the whole issue with the Marquis, uh, we're kind of retreading old ground here, I think, but you know, the whole issue with the Marquis is a specific located political crisis, you know, in, in the demilitarized zone, uh, in that particular part of space and with those particular people. If you take them all 70,000 light years away, who cares? It's, it's not relevant, you know, and all they're left with really is there's a load of guys who, yeah, they were in Starfleet and they got fed up and they, they kind of, you know, did naughty things for one reason or another, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. The whole, you know, what was meaningful for the marquee in those other episodes, whether it's next gen or DS9, it, it, it's 70,000 light years away. You know, they're probably never going to see yeah. those places again. It, so it, it's a fundamental flaw, I think, in the, in the thinking that, that went into that. Um, on the other hand, look, you know, maybe it didn't work out brilliantly in Voyager. It could have been another group of, you know, dissatisfied, disgruntled Starfleet types or however you wanted to do it. But it did pay off pretty well, I would say, in that, that final season of Next Gen. And then going forward with Deep Space Nine, you know, with characters like Eddington and and that whole kind of arc, they managed to make quite a lot of mileage out of it, I'd say. Um, but it is a case of something that was, you know, it's a it was a Voyager idea that ended up becoming something that only really works in the kind of DS9 uh, tonal approach to Trek. And it was it was sort of used. I mean, I think. I mean, I, I would encourage anyone to go and read if they haven't already. Ronald D. Moore's interviews about Voyager some years after the show ended. I'm sure you've read them, Duncan. But they are they're fantastic because he's so candid. And you know, he he basically does say it's why I create one of the reasons I created Battlestar Galactica. I brought that back because I wanted to do that kind of story. That that's what Voyager should have been. And I mean, the thought of that is tantalising, but. It just wasn't ready. You know, Star Trek wasn't ready. There's a chance you, that, that, that might happen. That might, that kind of thing might happen nowadays. They might have the, the bravery to go down that road with a series and to create something like that 
Although the irony is people would moan about it, probably. <laughs> you know, people would moan and say, this isn't what it is. But, re- and the, so there's an irony to that in that people, yeah, they, 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 a lot of people said, oh, Voyager squandered its potential. But at the same time, I mean, look at it now. It's beloved now. People watch it more on Netflix than anything else or on Paramount Plus or whatever. So I think there's, there's a difference between the, the idea of, of spinning off a show and a concept and trying to layer in characters and ideas into a show. To, as part of the tapestry of something that's otherwise very exactly the same. Voyager ended up just being the next generation in a different part of the galaxy. That's all it really was, you know, and and the whole idea of the marquee was just part of the initial DNA and they very quickly went, ah, oh, forget that, stuff that, we're just going to do TNG again. And, and, and that's the thing. I think when you're doing a genuine backdoor pilot, and when you, or when you're going to do a genuine spin-off show that takes an idea, and I, I think, I think it's got to be something that is very clearly layered in, as we've talked about, into these shows, into these ideas, and that's that's why, yes, Assignment Earth is the only official backdoor pilot, but I do think, I, I do think that 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 they had strange new worlds on their mind when they made Discovery Season 2. Whether or not they knew what it was called, whether or not they had made the decision about that, I would be very surprised if when they decided to bring the Enterprise into end of Discovery Season 1, Akiva Goldsman or somebody didn't go, man, we need to do a series about this one day and we need to spend this season getting people ready for that show. And you know, whether or not that, that the story before the, the pilot of Strange New Worlds really needed to be told with those characters, I'm not sure. I think, if anything, I think Strange New Worlds, what might make Discovery Season 2 retrospectively better, actually, than it was. Because I think it might, that, the, that, the, doing all that first might actually have freed up Strange New Worlds to be what it is. So uh, that might help me with like season two of Discovery more in the long run. But I think, well, you know what I was going to say to you, Tony, because I, I know you're a, a bit of a hater on season two of Discovery. I went back and watched it uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, only for the second time, to be honest. I, I never rewatched it, you know, until now. It definitely works better for me on a second viewing. I think well, that's knowing good. where the story's going and what's going on and so on, it kind of frees you up to enjoy all the good stuff. And there is actually quite a lot of great stuff in that season i would say and not just people tend to say oh oh, anson mount is great but the rest of it you know doesn't quite work i don't know if that's true i think there's actually a lot in there so i would recommend yeah give it a go uh sometime and see because i think on a second viewing and also on a binge where you're not waiting a week at a time to see what happens next you can forgive some of the slightly wonky plotting and sort of just enjoy the ride and the the kind of high points that you get along the way well but it's an interesting question you know does it if you do see it as a backdoor pilot does how you know does it have the same problem that i mean assignment earth arguably one problem with that episode is it's not a great star trek episode because uh the star trek people don't have much to do you you know really they're kind of hanging around and a lot of it is going on with these other characters is that a danger with season two of discovery that it became the kind of pike show at the risk of losing focus on the discovery story. I don't actually think it did necessarily. I feel like they balanced all of that fairly well. But that is always the risk, isn't it? Is that you bring someone like that in and they actually become the focus of the show somehow. Well, I I did have a real problem with the very final image of Discovery Season 2 being the Enterprise warping away. I did. I I won't lie about that. I was a bit like, oh, come on, really? Like, that's that's because... (laughs) Why didn't you have that season end... 
you know, with with the characters that we that the show's about. So I did, but that might work better in retrospect. You know, it is one of those things. Uh, but, but let's face it, Discovery's first two seasons both ended with the Enterprise being more important than the Discovery itself. <laughs> You're right. So you You're know right. that they they've spent they spent most of that show layering in the show. I think they really kind of wanted to do in the end, and the, and that the, the Discovery I think had had been such a, a massive bowl of different ideas thrown together, mixed up, tossed aside, you know, that, that that by the time they got to that point, they couldn't make Discovery in the way that Strange New World is being made because it was too far down the track in various different ways. And I think, so I think, I think that it's not a backdoor, I don't think season two of Discovery and all the Pike and the Enterprise stuff is a backdoor pilot. I think it's a backdoor concept. And I think it is, I think we do have three very, very distinct things, like you said earlier. We've got the backdoor pilot, we've got the backdoor concept, we have the backdoor characters, which is a great example when you talked about Miles, Keiko, Rolaren. We have that. That that could be, in theory, Tilly as well. You know, I think we have three different sort of ideas here in terms of where Star Trek and lots of other you know, franchises try and layer in track. You know, a good example in, in, in the, the rival sci-fi franchise in Star Wars, in The Mandalorian, they layered in Boba Fett, and then they did the book of Boba Fett, and then bafflingly decided to make an episode of The Mandalorian halfway through the book of Boba Fett, which is bonkers. And that's the kind of thing, actually, I would hate to see Star Trek do. I would hate to have an episode of... Uh, uh, they, they do Section 31 with Giorgio, and suddenly, in the middle, you cut to Burnham, and you cut to the Discovery, and there's a whole episode of Discovery that only tangentially links, you know, because there's talk right now of how Star Wars is going to be more of a shared... You know, the worry is that it's going to be more of a shared universe in the sense of there is no sort of complete solo singular story going on and that they might just literally throw in an episode of Kenobi into the middle of Ahsoka or they might just you know all these things and I think that's really dangerous because I think that takes away I mean the book of Boba Fett ended up being rubbish for a lot of it because precisely because it 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 spent so long sidelining Boba Fett it was bizarre you know and I think that's what they've got to be really careful of because I think one of the great things about Star Trek that they've managed to do and and now we're so far down the, the franchise rabbit hole, this is hard to see, but Star Trek still manages to keep all of these shows relatively self-contained, even though they have overlapping continuity in, in many ways. They all tell individual stories that are pretty disconnected from each other, quite often nowadays through different time periods, let alone different parts of the galaxy. And I, in a way, I think that's quite good because it allows each of these shows to feel relatively distinct from each other. You know, I mean, I'll say that for them. Discovery and Picard and Lower Decks and, you know, Prodigy are nothing like each other, really. They share common DNA, but they're not, they're completely different. And I think that that's, that's a good thing, you know? And I think that's something that as Star Trek does push the, into these different, does do these backdoor concepts or backdoor characters or whatever. I think it's a good thing. I think they, it will prevent the, the, the franchise becoming too stale. So while on the one hand I'm delighted we've got Strange New Worlds because it feels like a Star Trek show, uh, on the other, let's see what Section Thirty One is like. You know, let's let's try it. Let's see what let's see how it works because I think that in the long run I think we're going to look back more favourably on the fact they did take risks that they never would have done in the nineties and they didn't really do in the sixties either. And it's interesting, you know, talking about the backdoor idea. I mean, this idea of portals. I mean, obviously we've got, you know, Simon Earth, we've got these great kind of cloudy portals. 
Obviously, to get Giorgio <laughs> back yeah. into Section 31, they had to use another portal, the Guardian of Forever, and, you know, transport her. I mean, there is this sense of, I suppose, as much as Star Trek can exist in these different kind of environments, different situations, different tones and so on, but there are these doors between them. You can have characters kind of cross back and forth to some extent. I was reading, Will Wheaton was talking about wanting to come back as, as Wesley, uh, and saying that, um, but he wants to come back as Wesley, you know, sort of super Wesley in lower decks, basically with his, his <laughs> traveler powers and so on. Um, and he was saying, as far as he's concerned, Wesley and Nemesis in the uniform, that was just him putting on a uniform to make everyone feel comfortable. And, you know, really <laughs> Wesley is, is definitely still out there in a kind of godlike way. Uh, and that's the show he would crop up in, but he was sort of pointing out, actually, Wesley could, uh, could you know if he can travel time and space kind of like a queue or something he could show up in any show really um so there are these there are these options i suppose that's the thing there are always possibilities and i, like I guess that. that's what these doors yeah. sort of offer isn't it uh maybe it's not the back door maybe it's not a pilot but maybe it's it's that kind of interconnectedness uh it's the magic mushroom network isn't it that <laughs> kind of ties all of star trek together <laughs> yeah. and lets you star trek's own mycelial network it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. But anyway, I know you've got to get out uh, through your own back door and get on with your uh, book <laughs> manuscript, Tony. But it's been a pleasure talking to you as ever. And I'll see you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Duncan. And I hope everyone enjoys uh, Strange New Worlds when they get to see it. It's great. Absolutely. I think they will, for sure. <laughs> You're blended all right. 